Today on the podcast, it's one mother's journey from anguish to activism. And that's coming up right now on episode number 21 of Life After Sight Loss Radio. Welcome to Life After Sight Loss Radio, the podcast helping you discover life after sight loss. My name is Derek Daniel. I am your host and resident VIP, aka visually impaired person. If this is your first time on the podcast, welcome aboard. This is the place where we do product reviews, life advice, encouragement, and share impactful stories like today's episode, all with the express purpose of helping individuals and families who are going through or facing physical sight loss. Hey there, guys. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. We've crossed the 20-episode mile marker here, and we're on to episode number 21. And today's episode is a very, very special one. I've got a special guest on the podcast with me today to talk about her journey as a mother whose son lost his sight. It's going to be great and awesome, so you got to stick around and listen to the whole thing because I'm sure you're going to be impacted like I was listening to this story. Before we get started, as always, you can find today's show notes over at lifeaftersightloss.com slash 021. That's lifeaftersightloss.com slash 021. You can find links, information, conversation, and more. And of course, links to our special guests will be over there as well. So just hop on over to lifeaftersightloss.com slash As I said, today I've got a very special guest on the podcast. Her name is Lissa Poinsano, and I'm very excited to have her on. Lissa and I actually met through a Facebook group for the disease that I have, Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy, or LHON, as you'll hear it referred to here on the podcast. So she's got an interesting story, and it starts way back in 2008, as she shares, and all the way up through today. She went through some tragedy, some transition, some triumph. I love alliteration. So she goes through all that great stuff. You got to stick around to all of it because she's got some really good insight and gives some great advice towards the end of the interview where she shares not only from a mother's perspective, but a family as a whole as well. So stick around. Also, make sure to stick around to the end because I'm going to talk about coaching and support for the podcast and all that good stuff after the interview. So stick around for the whole podcast so you can check that out as well. So without further ado, let's jump into it. My conversation with Lissa Poinsino. Joining me on the podcast this week from beautiful, sunny California is Lissa Poinsino. Hi, Lissa. How are you? Hi, Derek. Great. Thanks. How are you doing today? Good. Did I butcher your name? Is it Poinsino? You did not butcher my name. And unlike most people, you got it absolutely perfect. So congratulations on that. Great start. Luckily, I know one of your good friends, Maria Johnson from Girl Gone Blind, and she told me how to pronounce it. So I have a leg up, I guess. <laughs> Friend, friends help all the way. Get every help you can get. That's right. Well, Lissa, thanks for joining me today. I wanted to have you on because I know that a lot of times we talk about visually impaired people and how they oftentimes are the focus of our conversation. But so often we forget these sighted supporters and how their lives are affected and what they do during the transition of sight loss and so forth. So I wanted to have you on today because you are a sighted supporter. And I'd love to hear your story about how your son actually began to lose his sight. And I'd love to go back to when that first started happening. 
happening. So can you tell me what what is your first memory of when your son first started losing his sight? It was a really quick transition for my son because obviously, as you know, he ended up having labor's hereditary optic neuropathy and that does onset quickly. So for, for me, it was a real quick situation where in the fall of 2008, Jeremy had just turned 19 years old in October. He was at college and he simply mentioned that things were blurry and he thought, you know, maybe he needed glasses. So um, I said, sure, I'll set you up with an optometrist when you come home from college uh, for Thanksgiving. And it was as simple as that and didn't really give it much of a thought. He hadn't been to an optometrist for a year. So, hey, he was due. And so he came home the day before Thanksgiving and um, he and his 13-year-old brother went over to the optometrist together, a little brother bonding. And um, I said, hey, you just go ahead and I'll, I'll come a little bit later and I'll be there to discuss whether you want contacts or glasses, whatever, whatever you need. So I showed up and I sat in the waiting room and after what seemed like a really long time, um, you know, Jeremy's younger brother came out into the waiting room and said, mom, don't freak out, but Jeremy's blind. And <laughs> That was one. I just I didn't have much time to process that between the time I got from the waiting room back to the examining room. Yeah. Um, but it, that was sort of when all heck broke loose, and that's when our lives turned upside down completely. Now, did you go back in there with this like, oh, what do you mean he's blind? Like, did, did, was that even an an idea in your mind, or was it like, what is this? Like, what did you have in mind when you went back to that examining room? It, it was like you said. There, it was a short walk down a short hall and I'm like, well, what's he talking about? And then I walked in and there was my son and there was the optometrist and he was had this sort of serious look on his face and he was trying to explain that um, he didn't think my son had a brain tumor, but we needed to rule that out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm here to talk about glasses and contacts and he wants to talk about brain tumors. It was really not a great <laughs> opening for a conversation. I know that when I began to lose my side, of course, uh, we have the same disease, labor hereditary optic neuropathy. I know there was the slew of tests, including, you know, the MRI and the CAT scan and all that stuff. Did your son go through the gamut of tests after this? He did. And uh, the part of the challenge for us was this all happened very late on the day before Thanksgiving. So trying to figure, mm-hmm. you know, the minute I heard brain tumor and having to rule it out, <laughs> you know, I was like, I called every MRI center from LA to the Mexican border trying to find <laughs> someone who could get this done. And of course, nothing was open. And I finally had the presence of mind to take him to the emergency room the next day. And we we got the brain tumor ruled out. But like you said, that's just the beginning. Uh, Then there's all kinds of other testing that goes on. So for several weeks, yeah, we had to go through various, you know, tests and studies and analyses trying to figure out what it was. And, you know, at first it was, well, okay, it's not a brain tumor. That's great news. But, you know, maybe it's MS and we have to look for that. And, you know, then the diagnosis was, okay, it's optic neuritis and uh, the good news about optic neuritis, which affects just one eye, um, was that, okay, well, that should get better after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, as people who have LHON know, uh, that's not how it goes. Suddenly the second eye starts failing and then it really gets interesting. So yeah, we went through a lot of tests on the on the path towards getting the diagnosis. Do you remember how long it was from maybe that first visit until you got the diagnosis of LHON? It was confirmed in the middle of January. So it was just about uh, two months, which is actually fairly quick for people in the LHON community. Um, But, you know, some folks, if, if someone has a history of it in their 
maternal heritage, you can get the diagnosis much faster. Uh, a lot of people, it, especially if you're unusual in presentation, um, people generally think of LHON as a young man's disease. So if you're yeah. older or female, it can take quite a while. Um, it just depends on whether the, the people you happen to see have experience with, with this disease or not. So yeah, we, t- it took us two months and it was pretty brutal, uh, pretty brutal two months, but it, it can take longer. So we're grateful it didn't take longer than that. I agree. For me, it was about two months uh, from the time I started noticing sight loss until I got a diagnosis. Uh, but like you said, it can take longer. And for other diseases, um, you know, they can run through the same gamut, uh, depending on family history and so forth. So uh, getting that diagnosis is important. It's, as you said, having something like optic neuritis, which Again, they thought I had as well, and it would get better and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, you go through those uh, gamut of not only the physical things, but then speaking of which, all the emotional stuff. So can you kind of take me through how you were feeling as a mom watching? I mean, because your son, you know, was in college and had all his future and ahead of him and that sort of thing, that classic cheesy thing we say. How are you feeling as a mother watching your son going through sight loss? Um, honestly, the word I always use is that it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Um, it was a daily punch in the gut. Honestly, the, the reality is I had very little exposure to blindness. I had one, I have one great aunt who has macular degeneration and I'd seen her once for two days uh, since she had become legally blind and I really didn't understand the situation. And aside from that, I'd lived on this earth for a good long time and had simply not come into contact with people who were blind or legally blind. And so I probably, like a lot of people, had a negative impression of blindness and Mm -hmm. didn't see it as anything positive and not at all something good. Um, And so I felt all kinds of um, negative feelings, senses of, you know, this is not what I wanted for my son and something I was trying to get away from and change. And it, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good feeling. It was, it was scary. It was horrifying. It was awful. And, and as a mother, um, I think like many moms, you know, my attitude is I was trying to, I was trying to figure it out. Like, what's going on? You know, trying to get a diagnosis and trying to figure out what was happening was I had this sense of maybe there's something I could be doing about it. Maybe there's a treatment. Maybe I can protect him. I need to go find it. And I was scrambling to to find that. And then, um, you know, I was scrambling to find everything because unlike a lot of other forms of blindness that I've learned about over the years, whether it's retinitis pigmentosa or Stargardt's, you know, there are other sort of late onset diseases that come on gradually mm-hmm. and people adapt. But this, you go from 2020 vision to legally blind in a couple of months and it's, you know, you have to suddenly scramble and, and mm-hmm. it, that's how it felt. It was just, I, I felt like I was racing. Uh, it was, it felt like it was a marathon, but I was racing as fast as I could <laughs> trying to stay ahead of his every, every need he had and not knowing, not knowing where to turn or what the resources were. It was, it was challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point, and for maybe people that are listening, the idea of somebody, you know, going blind in your life can be very shocking because, like you said, so many times we don't experience blindness in our life. And I don't mean our own blindness, I mean any blindness. Like for me growing up, I had never really met people that were visually impaired. Only through movies or media or something like that did I have anything that was even uh, remotely understanding about blindness. And my mom had a friend 
and you know it's one of those like offshoots or something like that so i think it's very important to realize that for most people you're probably not going to have this great knowledge of being blind and so for you you're like you said you're running this marathon but at like warp speed trying to figure everything out um along this this path this journey that you're going through at this point like you said you're experiencing negative emotions you're experiencing sort of like uh, a scared kind of thing were there certain fears that you had not only for your son but for your life in general i would say i was fearful of everything at that point um i was i was afraid that he would emotionally not be able to handle it, you know, nor would we. I was afraid that he'd never be able to get from point A to point B on his own. I was afraid that he wouldn't be able to to read and finish school. I was afraid he wouldn't be able to have a career and make money. I was afraid he wouldn't be able to do all the things he loves and play the sports he adores. I was afraid he'd, you know, never have a girlfriend, get married, you know, have a, a typical life. I, I was afraid everything. I, I couldn't imagine a positive outcome, and I was afraid about every single piece of his life, and and as a mother, you know how that would play out. You know, trying, wanting the best for him, and not seeing that that was a possibility. Thank you for sharing all that because that's so impactful and important for people to remember. Because fear is one of the emotions that we face, and we don't even realize how it comes up in a lot of different areas. And so, just fear across the board for a lot of different things. Now, you mentioned how you, as a mother, you know, how can I fix this? How can I go out and maybe is is there a way to to fix not only the issue but to get a sight better and that sort of thing? And and of course, with LHON, there is no cure at this point, and we'll talk more about that here in a little while. But was there a point that you remember like sort of settling in like there's no cure and now we have to move forward? Do you remember a a certain moment like that in your life? Well, for me, that point came when uh, we actually visited Dr. Alfredo Sedun in um, at UCLA's Domini Eye Institute in Los Angeles. Um, For the first couple of months, I was scrambling, scouring the internet, looking for information, trying to read journal articles, trying to understand the disease. And we were meeting with doctors and ophthalmologists and neuro-ophthalmologists and and everyone I talked to, I knew more about LHON than they did. And I don't (laughs) want to know more than they do. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. When I finally met Dr. Sadoon, who knew way more about LHON than I knew, it was great because then I could give up my role as sort of junior doctor and get out of the way and let him tell me what was the right thing to do medically. And I could turn that page and say, okay, you know, anything I need to know medically that's covered. Now I can go deal with everything else. I can deal with the emotions in the school and how are we going to get him a job and how's he going to make money? All those other issues. I could go work on those. So you have this experience and you go to this doctor who actually knows what this disease is and knows more than you, which is very, very helpful. And I understand that from my perspective for sure. So now instead of having to be this medical researcher, you're starting to, you know, maybe you can focus on some other things. But now your son, you know, he's legally blind. He's visually impaired. He's whatever word and phrase we want to use, that sort of thing. So after you figure out, okay, this is the disease. This is the thing. I mean, what are the next steps 
after all of that? Or are you now saying, okay, I'm going to get him a white cane. I'm going to make sure he has a guide dog. I'm going, is it all the typical quote unquote blind stuff? Or are you just guy? are you guys taking your own path in this journey at this point? The way we took our journey on it was, yeah, we, when you say the typical things, I didn't know what was typical, right? I, mm-hmm. I don't know what's normal. Mm-hmm. I, I do know that um, one of the resources we spoke with talked about, oh, he needs to drop out of school and spend six months adjusting to his blindness. No way he was going to do that. You know, he wanted to proceed with school. He wanted to stay connected with his friends. And for his emotional health, I certainly wanted to support him in doing that. So if it's typical to sort of drop out of life and get all of those uh, blindness skills, it certainly wasn't a path that he wanted to take. Um, So what we did do instead was, like you said, we sort of cobbled together figuring things out and we tried to figure out how to adapt to every step along the way. Um, So yeah, one thing was figure out, okay, he had been in college, how does he continue college? So the good news is, you know, his university had a really great disability services team, but the what we learned was that they're accustomed to people arriving having been blind, you know, going mm-hmm. through school. So mm-hmm. they had all this great equipment, but they weren't really set up to teach him because they assumed he would have learned that in school. Right. Well, he was an adult, so he could go to vocational rehab, but they're sort of more accustomed to people who are older. They weren't quite sure what to do with a guy who was in his late teens just <laughs> getting started. Yeah. Um, orientation and mobility training was certainly an option, but heck, two months ago, he was fully sighted. He didn't want, you know, again, he didn't have a great image of uh, people with vision loss. And so, Things that were typically associated with blindness, like a cane or a guide dog, he he didn't want anything to do with any of that. He was still, in his mind, a sighted person who Mm. just couldn't see very well. So um, I I tried to find an orientation mobility instructor who was willing to work with him to learn to cross the street safely and not require that he use a cane because he he wouldn't do that. And he's an adult. He can make his own choices. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of this constant process of trying to figure out what was possible and then work into that what he was willing to do. So that's that's how we muddled through. <laughs> now, you as a parent in this situation, like you said, your son's an adult, he can make these decisions. How did you cope uh, maybe emotionally and, and mentally? Were there times when you just wanted to be like, hey, do this, it's it's helpful, please? Like, Or were you kind of, were you able to step back and, and let your son sort of go? How, how were you feeling during those transition moments? He was pretty strong early on to say, look, I'm in charge. This is my life. I mean, from the, from the very moment we were, uh, we were like a week or two into it, we were still on the diagnostic journey. And I had done some research and thought he had LHON from what I'd read. And the neurologist thought he had neuromyelitis optica and wanted to treat for it. And it was his decision, not mine. And and from that point and all points forward, it was always his choice. And he made that abundantly clear. <laughs> so it's not like you're making it sound like I could choose to let him be in charge. No, he was. Right. He's a strong individual. And he made that clear. This is his life. So I, re- I learned 
really early on that my my role was really sort of a, as a coach, a guide, a counselor, you know, a researcher, someone who would explore options and present them to him. And, and it was up to him. I, I looked at it as what could I find? What resources were out there? What could I figure out and tell him about it? And some things he was ready for the moment I found him and some of them he wasn't at all ready, but later he was. And I just learned to, to figure that out with him. I think that's so great that you uh, mention it like that. You know, I'm, I'm a coach, I'm a, I'm a guide, I'm a researcher, I'm, you know, person that's always in his life, obviously you're his mother, you know, and you're always going to be that relationship. But now your relationship shifts a little bit when sighted supporters so often we become, you know, people that become coaches as because as we become visually impaired, we are now shifting a little bit. And now the sighted supporter shifts a little bit as well. You never stop being his mother, but now you're taking on things like a coach, like a researcher that you wouldn't have necessarily before and that's such a great way to put it now as far as your relationship with him that you know you have those kinds of things but what about you just yourself like obviously you were engaged in researching you were engaged in helping him to um, find different things whether he was ready or uh, at the moment or ready later you know those sort of things but just you internally what were some of the things that you were going through maybe after the diagnosis after he's going back to school that sort of thing maybe what's the quiet moment moments all alone in your house kind of look like for you during those early months after he, he loses his sight? I would say that for about the first eight or nine months, um, I would very frequently find a place where I couldn't be found and I would sob uncontrollably. Um, my sort of regular routine was I would go to an early morning aerobics class that I'd been going to for years and I would go Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and I'd be there working out, working out, and we'd be about 30 minutes into the session, and all of a sudden, my brain would unwind, and mm -hmm. I'd start sobbing, mm -hmm. and I would just have to run into the restroom and just sob for yeah. 10 minutes and put myself back together and go back out there, and same thing, I was I was working at the time, and I would be in the office and shut the door and just start sobbing. And, and I mean, it's an unfortunate reality of my own perception of what blindness was going to mean to my son. Um, but that's how I felt about it. I, I was sad. I was, my life had turned upside down, not in a way that I could see a positive way out of. And mm -hmm. I was literally deeply, deeply sad. And that came out as crying. But um, I think like many people in this situation would do, I tried to hide it from Jeremy as much as I could. I didn't want him to see me upset, so I, I would hide it from him and uh, <laughs> try to put on my happy face and put on my positive face and look on the bright side face. But the, but the reality is, for many, many, many months, uh, there were lots, there was lots and lots and lots of just uncontrollable sobbing. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's so great that you mention it because so many times people are unsure how they're supposed to handle this. Like, am I supposed to be sad? Am I supposed to be powerful and strong? What am I supposed to be? And I don't think there's necessarily a supposed to be. As you said, even within the path that you're taking, like, well, they said you should pull him out of school. And you're like, well, no, we're not going to do that. So there's not a supposed to be in this situation. But as you said, you just, you know, uncontrollable sobbing for a certain amount of time. Was there a point that you felt like it shifted into something different? Uh, like, how do you feel like you came sort of, uh, not, not necessarily out of that forever, but how do you feel like you came up out of the sort of sobbing uncontrollably for moments? It was a gradual thing because that's, I think, how life goes. Um, so... As we move forward and as good things happened, it 
became more and more an opportunity to celebrate and enjoy the many good things that that came out of what started out, you know, as such a as a very bad thing. Um, we, um, for instance, um, uh, Jeremy started uh, giving talks to the sororities at his university about. Um, about his disorder, trying to raise awareness of it, trying to raise research funds. Mm -hmm. And just the process of it made him feel good. And so we did more of it. Um, And watching him stand in front of a group and tell his story, it sort of, it was empowering for him. And being a part of that was a joy and and it was a good thing. Or Mm -hmm. watching him in front of a group of students and telling his story and helping express, you know, that this wasn't the end of the world. Uh, and that it could actually be a good thing, turned it into a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just just watching him take on obstacles and overcome them. Uh, one, of, one of the things I think I mentioned earlier about researching and finding things and, and letting them happen when was the right time, um, I'd learned about blind golf. Jeremy happened to have always been a golfer. And, uh, you know, when he lost his sight, he thought that was the end of it. So did I. And... Uh, I learned of blind golf and told him about it and thought he'd be excited. And he was like, I'm not going to do blind golf. That's ridiculous. That's, that's, you can't, how do you do that? And that, I'm sure people play slow. I'm not going to play slow. And which was okay. He wasn't interested. He wasn't ready. Put that on the back burner. But then a few months later, mm, that sounded like not such a bad idea. And he went to the driving range with his dad, hit a few balls, didn't miss any. He's like, oh, I'll go back. And he did it a little bit more, did a little bit more, went to a tournament. Did well, went to another tournament, did well, got invited to play in the World Wine Golf Championships in England and, and happened to win in a playoff. <laughs> it was exciting, you know. So it was this process where um, you start with something and it gets better and it gets better. And and it, that's what seemed to happen was we would get exposed to things and find out how to do something Um you know, he, he had a buddy who offered to um, help him stay in shape. And mm-hmm. they said, oh, we're going to do a triathlon. Well, he's a golfer, not a triathlete. <laughs> um, so I said, well, how about, you know, instead of signing you up for a triathlon right away, how about I sign you up for a half marathon? So he ran in a train for and ran in a local half marathon. And he was sort of honored as a challenged athlete. I mean, so it was like it turned into a really great situation where he and his guide ran this thing together and it was a very supportive thing so that that's how I got out of it with him was you know we both started finding successes and we went from this is all bad to hey this could be pretty good and we focused on the good now did you yourself have any sort of because it sounds like for him he was very like he had these moments of were cathartic like speaking to people that sort of thing did you have things in your own life did you speak to maybe a counselor mentor friend something of that nature to help you through that transition in your own life well I got really fortunate because um, a few months after Jeremy did go back to college after the initial onset of vision loss. Uh, He did have a setback one day when uh, a friend was going to go somewhere with him and had to change plans. And Jeremy suddenly realized how, since we hadn't figured out transportation options, he Mm -hmm. was 
not able to make his own choices and he was stuck and he couldn't mm-hmm. go anywhere and he was really really upset and he called me and he was so upset mm-hmm. and I was scared that something terrible would happen I kept having images of him being so sad he would jump off a very tall building and the good news about fear is it's motivating and mm-hmm. that motivated me to call every single person in town I could think of who might have ideas on how to support Jeremy emotionally because uh, this was a bigger issue than I knew how to deal with mm-hmm. and fortunately Somebody put us, put me in touch with a guy in our local center for the blind, um, who's a, a counselor, um, a psychologist who's blind himself. And um, people said, "You really need to get Jeremy with Dr. Bob." So um, I called down there and begged for an appointment. And of course, he's booked up. But I begged, and I got what we needed. And so um, it was great because. Um, not only did Jeremy see Dr. Bob, but Dr. Bob said, hey, you know, listen, you can stay for this um, consultation if you'd like, if Jeremy approves. And Jeremy said, I don't care if she's there. So um, I just sat there quietly and listened to them have their conversation. And I took him there every week for a couple of years and listened in. Actually, I had the privilege of listening while the two of them discussed all of the emotional issues around adjusting to living a life without um, with this, you know, significant loss of central vision, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they talk through how is he going to succeed in school, and how is he going to succeed as an athlete, and how is he going to succeed with women, and how is he going <laughs> to, you know, everything. And I just got to listen to it, and that not only helped Jeremy come to terms with it, um, but it also helped me um, come to terms with my own feelings about it, and and got to observe that Jeremy was going to be okay while he and Dr. Bob talk through it. Yeah. Well, I think what you just said right there, I, I can remember um, I was interviewed for some different things. And um, one thing my parents were interviewed for, my dad said, I just wanted to make sure he's going to be okay. And at the time, and he's like, and I know that, you know, now after we had been through some things. And so I think as a parent, that's one huge chunk that you're, I need to know my child's going to be okay. Whether it's, like you said, this emotional turmoil he's going through, the physical, the mental, the the relationship piece, all those things, you want to make sure your child is going to be okay. And that can mean a lot of different things. So that's really neat that you were able to get connected with this Dr. Bob, and not only for your son, but for you as well. That's that's really exciting. Yeah, it was great. I was very lucky. So here you are, you're, you're into this for a few years, possibly, and, and and, you know, you, you see your son, he's succeeding, uh, he, he's having these empowering moments, and, and you're joining him in that. You know, you're walking through this transition with, obviously, some mental help and support, and things are going great. Now, LHON is a, we'll, we'll call it a family disease, because it's it's genetic, it's hereditary. So, obviously, there are more issues than simply your son losing his sight, because with LHON, it affects and possibly, or excuse me, it could possibly affect everybody in the family, and and everybody's a carrier uh, passed down from the mother's side of the family. So, without going into huge amounts of medical information, especially if somebody that doesn't have Ellie Joanne, um, what what were you finding out about things in your family with LHON? Because now, you know, it's it's a whole different ball game now that everybody sort of quote has it. Yeah, you're right. It's it it goes. At first, everyone's focus was on Jeremy and helping him adjust and adapt. But at the very same time, the diagnosis meant a lot of things to everyone in our family. So at the time, my daughter was 16 and um, 
her first question to me was, mommy, does that mean I can't have kids? Because she understood that she would pass this on to her children. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I honestly didn't know what to say. But what came out of my mouth was, I don't know, honey, let's let's watch and see what kind of a life Jeremy lives. And if it's a life worth living, if it's not a life worth living, then I guess, no, you can't. But if, if he has a life worth living, then sure, when you're the right age, you can have all the kids you want. And so honestly, that's been a double uh, impetus. You know, obviously, I want my son to have a great life, despite vision loss. Um, And at the same time, I really want him to be a positive role model for his sister, because I want to be a grandmother. And uh, (laughs) this is really important, selfishly. So, so I mean, honestly, um, you know, my daughter is, you know, he's been a great role model, and he's a great brother, and he's a great guy. Um, So, but at the time, we didn't, you know, we didn't know how the story would play out. Um, And it does have a happy ending, but you you don't know that the day it happens. And then, in addition to my daughter, you've got, um, I have a son who was 13 at the time it happened. So, you know, same thing. And and as you know, with LHON, um, uh, my daughter will pass it to her children. She has only only a 10% chance of vision loss, as do I as a woman. Um, but her you know, the younger brother has starts with about a 50% chance that it'll happen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, same thing. It's, it's frightening. Um, who wants to be living with a 50, 50 chance of going blind. Now, the good thing is with, with LHON, there are environmental factors that, uh, impact those odds. So, you know, the best I can do has been to gather as much information as I can, you know, let the other kids and myself meet with, um, Dr. Sadoon and learn all we can so we understand what choices we can make um, about how to reduce our risk. And each person makes their own choice. You know, some people choose to stay away from every environmental factor that's harmful and others say, mm, I'll take that risk and yeah. <laughs> totally fine. But the best I can do is at least gather the information and share it. And um, But it, but it's a it's a difficult piece of information to have. It's mm-hmm. It's 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 hard to know that you've got this genetic time bond inside of you that could suddenly go off one day and there's not much you can do about it. It's it's difficult information. Absolutely. Now, you've talked about researching, finding out this information, you know, um, gathering, collecting, all that sort of thing. And so for you, it could just be like, hey, we know this, uh, you know, we, we've got it here in, in, in sort of our back pocket, just information to have. But Instead of doing just that, you have decided to do more than just your family, more than just the people you know, and you've taken it quite a bit farther than that. And so why don't you tell us, how did things get started with both the website and and all the work that you're doing for LHON and the community as as a whole? Well, as you heard me describe, I mean, I was doing lots and lots of research, trying to learn on every angle, both medically, trying to understand uh, information about the disease that wasn't really readily available at the time, and trying to understand how to, you know, what resources were out there to adapt to it. Um, And I would tell my friends and colleagues what I was doing, and they would say, Lissa, you should write a book. And I was like, yeah, but if I write a book, someone's going to have to pay for it. And it's probably going to be out of date the day after I publish it. So I thought, well, I guess I could write a website. So during that whole first year, um, I just kept lots of notes and 
organized it based on topics and tried to gather information, not just from our own experiences as a family uh, impacted by LHON, but talking to other people and learning what their experiences had been. And and, uh, after about a year of getting Jeremy's situation sort of stabilized and on a good path, um, I created LHON.org and tried to put together everything I'd learned so that um, anyone else around the world who was trying to figure out what I'd been trying to figure out would have a less difficult path trying to get that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's pretty much where it started. And then um, in terms of the conference, I thought, well, I'm really fortunate. I happen to only live a couple hours away from one of the few global leaders in the field of LHON uh, clinical care and research. Research. I'm able to visit him, talk to him, get my questions answered. Um, but not everybody is so fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put together a conference where uh, and and got it on video. Figuring if I put that out on the internet, then people around the world would have the benefit of the same information that mm-hmm. was so helpful to me. So um, the first conference was really mostly just about getting some of the uh, leaders on video so that could be shared. And then one of the interesting things that sort of happened as a byproduct of that was as people came to the conference to to hear these speakers speak, the, the connections that people made, mm-hmm. it was so powerful. People mm-hmm. were so excited to meet somebody else who understood yes. what, what they were going through. So from there, we've expanded and, and made it a full-on, full-day conference and a, with a lead in the day before. And just people describe it as a, a family reunion for, with people you've never met before <laughs> because the, the situation is so unusual um, that to find somebody else who's actually living the same experience, it's really powerful. So, so we do it and it's a lot of fun and people enjoy it. And I think it, it's helpful. I think that's terrific, especially for, uh, you know, yeah, the visually impaired people who are like, wow, you to- you know, here's my story. Oh, yeah, I totally get that. But then also for connections with, you know, your uh, parents and, and the siblings and those sort of people who are, you know, carriers and, and their sighted supporters. And it's like, hey, how do you deal with this? Or, or hey, what's the thing that has been helpful to you? So you have both sides of the coin there. It's not just for the visually impaired people. It's for the family members, like you said, the parents and and uh, the brothers and sisters and all those sort of things. So it's such a great opportunity. Um, whether it's this disease or any other disease, I think it's so great to connect and build that community. So let's well, and, oh, go and, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just saying, and, and specifically with this particular disease, because it's genetic mm-hmm. and because it's a situation where we know the inheritance pattern and we know that any woman who carries it is passed it on to her children and she got it from her mother and you can find other people who carry it. Um, it's one of the really important benefits of pulling the community together is um, in the past and even today, a lot of people don't want to tell family members that they carry the mutation. Mm-hmm. And yet if they realize and if they see not just my own son, but so many other people who are living really good lives with this disorder, they're less concerned about telling their family members and there's so much good that comes from telling your family members Mm -hmm. because if somebody does start having blurry vision if they know that they're genetically predisposed to it then they can go right to the correct doctor and if there's a clinical trial underway they can partake in it whereas if you lose months looking for the answer you spend months 
groping around in the dark mm-hmm. and and you also miss the opportunity perhaps to be part of a trial or a treatment opportunity and so it's you know there's a lot of reasons why it's important to pull the community together that's that's certainly accurate especially for this disease like you said especially for this disease with the family aspect that comes along with it uh so so important so listen we've talked a lot about your your journey from first watching your son start to have this vision loss this this sort of tragic event that took place and and the transition into things you know learning uh not only how to be visually impaired but but coping with it and then coming out and and being empowered and and finding strength and and just living life to the fullest, which is what we talk about all the time on the podcast. So now that you sort of transitioned, it's been what, almost this year's nine years is 2008. Is that correct? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So it's been almost nine years, almost a decade at this point. And you've got the LHON.org, got the conference, you're you're not, you're expanding this out to a lot more people. And, and I will say for me, uh, when I found the Facebook group, I was like shocked. I had never met anyone else in almost 16 years that had LHON. So you know, it's a huge thing that you're doing. So you're expanding. This is a very, um, you know, just awesome thing that you're doing. And so my final kind of couple of things here is just to take us just into your head and and just sort of into Lisa for just a second, especially for any parents out there that are listening, maybe going somebody going through sight loss, you know, their son, their daughter, whatever the case is, no matter the age, because your son was, you know, uh, an adult at this point. So for you, Having, you know, gone through all of this and doing all these things, are there any moments now when you sort of, do you have those, quote, bad days anymore where you feel sadness and sorrow? Or do you feel like you're sort of on the upswing at this point? I can't say that I have any bad days about this now. I really don't. We're way past being on the upswing. We're just in a really good place. You know, Jeremy's doing great. Um, the whole family is confident uh, that, you know, we don't want it to happen to any of the others in the family. But if it does, we, we see the way forward. We know that uh, life with vision loss is a it's a wonderful life. It can be a wonderful life if you choose to make it so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I was told in the beginning that, you know, and Jeremy got some really good advice when it first came on. You know, we, we heard that there were people who have 20 vo- 40 vision and they they live terrible lives because they they think their lives are over and there are people who are totally blind who live phenomenal lives because they've decided that they're going to live a phenomenal life and they do and so Jeremy we just sort of put him in that he put himself in that path of living a great life and he is living a great life so the vision loss isn't an issue as much I mean it's a challenge of course wouldn't have picked it of course (laughs) but it's a great life. And so, no, it's it's all good days for us. I'm fortunate that way. That's wonderful. And so for any parents out there that are listening, you know, maybe they're in this space where they're in the early months, like you mentioned, they're in those early moments. Is there a piece of advice that you would give them? I know it's kind of cheeky, like, oh, yeah, just be happy. I, I don't necessarily mean that. Is there a, a piece of advice that maybe you uh, could give to them and say, you know, if I was going to say anything to you, this is what it would be. You know, I, honestly, I, I got so many good pieces of advice along the way. And, and it all came in different voices in different ways. You know, one of the first folks, you know, said to me when my first feeling was, why me? You know, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my son? And I read something someone said, which was, well, why not you? What mm-hmm. makes you so special? Mm-hmm. Why should your life have no challenges? Why why should you live a life with no obstacles? I mean, somebody's got to have them. Why not you? Mm-hmm. And just sort of getting rid of that 
poor me, why me attitude and just going, okay, had to happen to somebody. So this is what we're going to deal with. Let's, let's make it the best we can be, um, was, was helpful. Um, I put a story up on the uh, website cause it touched me deeply when I first got impacted by this and it's called welcome to Holland. And it, the gist of it is, you know, okay, when you have a child and, uh, you imagine all these things for them and, and it's like it's like you're going to Italy and you read all the guidebooks and you imagine what you're going to eat and what you're going to see and what you're going to do and you get on the plane and when you land they say hey you're in Holland and you go wait a minute I'm not supposed to be in Italy I'm supposed to I'm not supposed to be in Holland I'm supposed to be in Italy and it's like you can you can be bemoaning that you're not in Italy you don't have the sighted child you thought you were going to have or you can embrace the unexpectedly interesting and what can be very wonderful life that exists in Holland. It's just not what you were expecting, but why not embrace it? Cause that's kind of the only choice you have. <laughs> um, you know, uh, someone else described it as you can visit the poor me house, but you can't move in. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, I, I definitely had months of visiting the Portney house and mm -hmm. I was, you know, sad, I was crying and, but you know, you can't move in there because it's a really bad place. You got to get out of it and, and do something, something else. And I think, you know, Jeremy's kind of chosen as a motto. He, he calls it focus on the good. You know, he mm -hmm. could, he could focus on the central vision that he lost and, you know, be sad about what he's lost or he can focus on the good and he can say, Hey, I've got a lot of great peripheral vision. I've got a family that loves me. I've got friends all around me. And he just focuses on the good. And, and just the more you can do that, the, the more it does become good. So that's, those are some of the things I've learned along the way. That's great. I love that story about Welcome to Holland. Just the idea that it's, it's this expectation you know, it's not necessarily that Holland is terrible, because though I've never been there, I'm sure it's really nice, but it's the expectations that weren't met that were really sort of grieving, the loss of the expectation. So I think that's really, really great, and, and I'm so glad that you shared that. So, Lissa, for everyone who's out there, I just want to say she has an awesome story. She's been through, you know, the, this tragic time. She's been through transition, and she's on this side of triumph where she's not only helping her family, but she's helping so many other people. So, Lissa, on behalf of somebody who is in the L.A. Showing community, thank you so much for what you do, and thank you for being part of the podcast today. My pleasure. And there you go, guys. My conversation with Lissa Point to Know. First of all, Lissa, thank you so much for being on the podcast this week. It was so fantastic to sit, to talk with you. We got to talk after the interview was over for a while. She has just an amazing story, and she's doing so much for this disease, LHON. She took what could have been a horrible situation, and she did something great with it. She's helping not only her own son and her own family, but so many sons, so many moms, so many families out there after she has gone through this herself. So kudos to her, and I hope that you receive so much from her story and her words because there was just so much in there. So a big shout out to Lissa for being part of this. Thank you so, so much. 
Now, I told you last week a little bit about some things that I have going on, and I want to give you some more information here at the end of the podcast. So if you stuck around all the way to the end, thank you so much. The first thing I want to talk about is my coaching that I'm offering. Now, at the time of recording this podcast, I have the coaching page up. You can go to lifeaftersightloss.com slash coaching, and I will have the scheduler up very soon so that you can book a session. Now, what is coaching? Well, first of all, what is it not? Was not counseling or therapy or anything like that. I highly encourage you to seek out a local counselor, a local therapist, therapist, maybe a, a blind association can help you find somebody, but coaching is to help you move forward and achieve goals and find answers to questions and things like that. So maybe you're sitting at home, if you watch some of my content, you listen to the podcast, you read my blog post, whatever the case is, you have done all that and you're like, you know, I'd like a little more sort of personal stuff. I got some questions I'd like answers to. I've got some situations I'd like to know more about, and I would love to help sit down with you and go through those things. Whether you're an individual, whether it's a, you know you and your spouse, whether it's kids, whatever the situation is, I want to help you do that. I want to help you find those answers to the questions you have. Maybe I've got the answer, or maybe we'll find it together. Whatever the case is, I want to hear from you. Maybe, just maybe, you want to have somebody who understands you, and you want to take that time to vent a little bit and just get it off your chest. I want to be those listening ears for you. So hop on over to lifeaftersightloss.com slash coaching. That'll give you more information about it, how much it costs, what's involved, and that sort of thing. And I look forward to connecting with you guys. Like I said, if it's just you, if it's a spouse, if it's a whole family, I want to meet with you guys and we meet via the World Wide Web so you can be anywhere and we will connect. So hop on over lifeaftersightloss.com slash coaching. Also, I mentioned last week about something I created on uh, Patreon. Now, Patreon is basically a website that is crowdfunding. So, creators like YouTubers, podcasters, musicians, artists, writers, all kinds of things are over there. And basically, it's a way to get funding for the creation or the content that you're making. And so in this case, I'm making videos and podcasts and blog posts and all that stuff. And the Patreon page is for you or someone that you know, if you want to help donate to this cause, if you want to support what I'm doing, you can do it right there on the Patreon page. Now, it's safe. Patreon, you know, they're going to take your credit card, but it's totally safe and secure. I've actually supported people on Patreon before. It's no problem. Uh, you can donate as little as a dollar a month if you want to help support what I'm doing here on the podcast, on YouTube, on my website, basically, lifeaftersightloss.com. Like I said, I want to keep all my content free. I want people to come to my website and to watch, listen, and read everything I have. Uh, you know, if they want to go deeper. They can you know, talk about coaching and they can contact me about that. But if you want to just watch all the content, I want it all to be free. And so I want to keep doing that as long as I can. So if you're interested in donating to this, hop on over to lifeaftersightloss.com slash support and you can support what I'm doing. As little as a dollar a month. I know that kind of sounds like a uh, commercial, you know, oh, it's 30 cents an hour. It's all you get, you know, they break it down to like that. All it takes is the price of a cup of coffee or whatever it is. I don't know. The thing about it is, if you have the money, great. If you don't, no worries. It's only if you have the money and you find the content helpful. It's just a way to keep the the freeness out there. You know what I mean? Because it does cost money to produce all this stuff. It costs money and time. And I want to keep it going. And so, hey, if you feel so inclined and so obliged, hop on over to lifeaftersightloss.com slash support. And I would so, so appreciate it. 
All right, guys. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. And normally I would tell you to subscribe and Facebook and all that stuff, but I'm sure you're overloaded with enough information. So we'll just leave it here and I'll tell you, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I so appreciate it. Just go to lifeaftersightloss.com if you need any more information about anything we talked about today or the coaching or the Patreon or whatever, lifeaftersightloss.com. Hey, don't forget that all the information found on this podcast and on lifeaftersightloss.com is intended for educational and informational purposes only. If you're in need of professional, medical, or legal advice, please seek out a specialist in your area. And that is going to wrap it up for me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, remember that sight loss isn't the end. It's just the beginning. My name is Derek Daniel from lifeaftersightloss.com, and I'll see you in the next one.